0: Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 67. Up, up, and away! Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 67. Um, This show was actually supposed to be uh, published last week. I'm a little bit late. But unfortunately, it was Saturday night, and I—it's pretty late. I lay down to bed, and I said, "Oh, I was going to do a show tonight. And I forgot. I was not about to get up at uh, midnight or whenever it was to start that." So sorry. It's just been a hectic few weeks here, mainly because I've been getting ready for Halloween. My kids want to dress up as uh, the characters from Mad Magazine, Spy versus Spy. So worked really hard to to make their costumes because they actually don't exist for kids, as far as I can tell. And that came out pretty neat. I think so. So I haven't been doing much playing this last week and a half, but fortunately I've played the game I want to talk about a lot already, so so that's okay. First in the news, the game Spell Saga is back on Kickstarter. I had mentioned it uh, before, there was a Kickstarter for it last year. It unfortunately did not succeed. It is back up now and actually has already reached its funding goal. This is a game I actually talked about in a previous episode. Actually, and I interviewed the designer. So you can actually check that out and hear how that went. Actually, and there's one other game on Kickstarter right now that I know about that supports all your play. It's called Dragon's Ransom. This is a game for one or two players, and it's basically like a cooperative dungeon crossover thing in reverse. You're playing the uh the monsters in the dungeon, trying to protect your your home from the horrible heroes coming to, to ruin things for you. It looks really nice. That one actually only has seven days as of tonight, so it, it should end on the uh November 8th? Yeah, November 8th at 10.25 p.m. Eastern. So check that out. I'll include a link for the Kickstarter for that. Also on Kickstarter, but not board game related, sorry, a friend of mine has started a Kickstarter, a small Kickstarter, to, to purchase a printing press for her business. She's an artist and she makes prints, but she does it by hand. A printing press will help her out a lot, so she's got a Kickstarter going. And she's basically, if you pledge and help back her, you could get some Christmas cards. You may want to check those out. These are not the the bulk variety Christmas cards you get like at a bookstore or something like that. But check it out, I'll include the link for that too, if you're looking for Christmas cards. So this month I want to talk about thematic games. Unfortunately, like I said, I was real busy and I didn't prepare anywhere near as much as I did. I'm gonna go ahead and do this anyway, I've taken a few notes. Um you know, I think I've talked about thematic games way back at least at least once. And you know, so what what's the question is what are thematic games and you know, it's one of those fuzzy terms that's hard to really explain well, but you know it when you see it kind of thing. The way I see it, a thematic game is a game that really feels like it portrays whatever the subject matter is. You know, some games, maybe a war game or a car game or any kind of game really, you know, might be about something about dungeon crawling or, or war or farming or whatever. It doesn't really feel like you're doing any farming, for example. Maybe it's easy to explain what isn't thematic. Let's say a game like Agricola. Uh, it's a great game, a lot of fun. It's about farming in the Middle Ages. Um, doesn't really feel that much like farming. It, it's kind of there, but yeah, you know. It's also the the way you know you you could add people in certain turns, and it's not exactly a pasted-on theme, but it it just doesn't it it doesn't feel like it portrays the theme as well as it could potentially portray it. So anyway, so what is a thematic game? It's a game where the mechanics support the theme. Here are some things I think are going to be true about thematic games. It's going to require a compelling theme. Though honestly, that could be just about anything. It probably depends on the the target audience. Uh, A game about ballet is not going to feel that thematic to me. Because honestly, I don't know much about ballet. I don't watch ballet. So it could be the most realistic thing. and, And it's just going to miss me. So it requires familiarity with the theme. Particularly, like I said, on the players from the player's point of view. Hopefully the designer has some familiarity with the theme, but I don't know that's necessarily required. The game doesn't necessarily have to be deep or even complex to be thematic. A very light card game could feel very thematic if it's just implemented well. Don't think it matches the BGG definition of thematic. If you go to BGG, there's a category for thematic games, and if you look at that and browse a list of games in there, some are way more thematic than others. I think, as I said, thematic—the term thematic—is subjective. So a game that's thematic for one person may be very unthematic for another. Um, for example, one game I find very thematic is Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Uh, if you ask a firefighter, they might disagree with you. They might think it's very unrealistic. So, as I said before, it's a very fuzzy term. It's, you know, some games are thematic for a person, and, and they feel like. Like they represent whatever the subject matter is really well, and some don't, and it just varies. I think what's important about thematic games is that, at least for me, thematic games tend to be more fun. The more thematic the game feels, the more I enjoy it. Um, it doesn't mean I won't enjoy a game that's not thematic, it just means that that aspect will enhance the gameplay. Um, so I did go through and make a list of thematic games, the, the ones that I think are the most thematic, at least in solitaire-friendly games. And I came up with a list of seven. The first one is Flashpoint Fire Rescue. I already mentioned that one real quickly. I like that game. If it, it feels a lot like you're fighting a fire in it. I like it, and I think that's in part because the, the map is a house. right? The board is a house, and you're walking around from space to space and room to room. Um, as you're fighting fires, you have to deal with doors. There's different types of characters that feel realistic. I, I like the way the fire spread. That also feels realistic, so there's a lot of little things about it that that to me seem very realistic and make the game very thematic. And I think this one tops the chart for me. Another one is Escape the Curse of the Temple. So this one's a little bit surprising. This is a very light game. There's not really a lot of depth to it at all. You're just rolling dice trying to get around the board. You're you're going back. The idea is you're trying to escape the temple. Find the gems to escape the temple. But you're going back and forth moving around this board and rolling dice constantly non-stop. And that's basically the whole game. I think it feels thematic to me because it's it's an Indiana Jones type game, and the theme is about trying to escape before before you're trapped in this place. And it reminds me of that first scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where Indy is trying to escape the tunnel, and after he captures, the, or finds that gem, or the skull, I guess, and he's there's a big giant ball chasing him, he's running out trying to get out alive. And the game has a lot of that that feel where you're just trying to get out alive in time, and it's very frantic, and you're you're rolling dice constantly, and it builds up the adrenaline. It has a it has the uh, the timer music that you could use if you want to use that instead of sand timer. That feels very thematic and just helps with the fun. So that's number two. Number number three is Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. Very different game from the last one, from the last two. This is in this game you play Sherlock Holmes and you're trying to solve crimes. The reason this one to me is very thematic is because the way you're doing it is. You're looking at a map of London. You're looking through telephone directories and newspaper clippings and stuff like that. And, and the game actually brings these sort of things. They're not real. It's not a real map. Uh, what is a real map? I don't know how accurate it is. It's supposed to be London in the time of Sherlock Holmes. But um, it brings a directory that's not obviously not real. But you actually have to pick up the book and flip through the pages. And there's many names in there that are totally meaningless. And there's some that are actually useful and clues to the game. Same with the newspaper. There might be some articles in there that are meaningless and some that are actually going to be clues in the game. So so this game feels very thematic as you're actually doing research and trying to figure things out as Sherlock Holmes. Um, it's a great little game. Number four, a surprise for me, I think, is Duel in the Dark. This one, eh, I talked about this a few episodes ago. This is one where you're, you're playing a German Air Force trying to defend against bombing raids from, uh, from England. The... The game is pretty abstract, you know. You're moving these play markers on the board. The reason for me it felt thematic is because as I played it, I, I was playing from the perspective where I'm sort of a, a general or something in the command room, and I'm looking at a map of of Europe and Germany, and watching all the planes moving on the map. And so when I play that way, it feels very strategic, and it feels very realistic, and I really enjoyed it, it that way. Okay, number five. I you know I wasn't sure if I should include this one or not. It's uh, it's the Island of Dr. Necro, another game I've talked about in the podcast. Actually, I think all these are games I've talked about, aren't they, in the podcast? Except for Escape, the Curse of the Temple. So I wonder if I'll be talking about that at some point soon. Hmm. Maybe I should. Um. Anyway, the Island of Dr. Necro. This is a card game set in a pulp-era sci-fi sort of universe in which you've come to this island and need to save some scientists and get off the island before the island explodes um, they're being, they've been captured by an evil mad genius and he has him there. And when you're in there, you're fighting all sorts of monsters and traps and stuff like that. So it's sort of kind of like a James Bond feel to it in a way, but mm, not quite. More pulp. I'm surprised I picked this one because it is really abstract. You're using cards and your character, for example, is made up of three different cards that each have names. So it feels like you're, each character is three characters, but it really is just Treated as one person. So some things are, are kind of working against a the thematic feel. But but the cohesive the, the, the theme of the game is so cohesive that I just think it works really well and it continues throughout the game. And even though it feels like I'm rolling dice and sometimes just min-maxing, I really enjoy the idea of going into this place and trying to get out with a scientist. To the point that sometimes I've made choices that were not necessarily the best choice I could make in terms of gameplay, but the choice that felt more th- most thematic. And the idea that, that you make a choice in a game because it feels thematic, more so than because it's the correct move to make, I think speaks highly of a the game's theme. Number six, again a very abstract game, is SOS Titanic. Um, I mean, if you think about it, this game is basically solitaire using a deck of 52 cards, right? Just like everybody's played with a standard deck of cards for for hundreds of years, I think. Um, and that's what this game basically is with a the tacked-on theme. For me, the game actually felt very thematic. I know for many people it doesn't. But for me, I really like the way the uh, the, car- the cards in the line sort of felt like the people were trapped trying to get off the boat and all the shuffling and pushing them had been going on. And as, as you get stuck and um, the boat starts to sink and the people that are at the bottom of the ship start moving up and crowding the upper decks, all that, all the mechanics of the game, really, I think, added to the theme. And really made the theme for that game because I mean it's so so light and so pasted on. And as I played it, I really kept thinking to myself, "Wow, yeah, this is very, this is really the way it would have been." I mean, this is the way that if cards weren't a sinking ship, this is how they would act. And I think I'm gonna stop at that one. Number seven. I added a seventh game here, and honestly, at this point, I don't remember why I added it. Because I, well, the game is Robinson Crusoe. Um, all the components look very thematic, and it's a very pretty game. It's got tons of different things in it. But I don't know that I ever felt like I was trapped on an island so much as I was playing different cards trying to accomplish certain goals. Um, I, yeah, I really don't know why it's on here at this time. Maybe it's because of all the cards, with all the artwork, and all the art is so nice and, and it is thematic, and the way you're laying down island tiles. Maybe it's the way you have the different, uh, scenarios. There's, the game brings what, seven different scenarios, and each scenario plays very, very differently. And,. The the goals you have to accomplish in the scenario are thematic, and yet overall the whole game isn't that thematic to me. <laughs> but that just goes to show you, what's considered a thematic game varies from person to person, and even for a single person from day to day. That's seven very thematic games, and well, six very thematic games, and one more questionable. So today's game is Sentinels of the Multiverse. It was designed by Chris Bedell, Paul Bender, and Adam Ribeltaro. Um, The art is by Adam Ribeltaro. This, and it was published by Greater Than Games in 2011. So, Sentinels of the Multiverse is a card game in which you are playing superheroes trying to fight a villain. So this is actually a cooperative game designed, I think, for three to five players, but can easily be played solitaire if you don't mind controlling three or even more heroes. I've tried it with less than three. It doesn't really work that well. Especially because many heroes are not designed to to play by themselves. They're really designed to support characters sometimes where they boost up other characters and that sort of thing. And, and there, there's a lot of interaction between the different cards and characters. So playing more heroes is often a lot more satisfying. But I'm probably jumping forward. Um, as I said, it's a card game. It's a card game in the way Magic the Gathering is a card game. You have a hand of cards, and you have a deck, and you're playing cards with different abilities to attack your opponents. It's not a great comparison because the similarity basically ends right there. The theme's entirely different. The way the cards work is different. Turn order's different. Everything's different about it. But it is a card game in that vague general style. Um, The game does have a number of expansions, but the base game is enough to play. It brings ten different heroes, four villains and four different environments. Basically, when you're playing a game, you have heroes fighting one villain in some location. Uh, a lot like might happen in a comic book. Um, as a matter of fact, the game is very, very much like a comic book. Not only is it theme about superheroes, which is very comic booky theme, but the way it looks is very comic booky, and a lot of the cards have flavor text that specifically mentions or oh, refer to this issue of this specific comic book and all that. These comics don't exist because they're all made of comics for this... Universe, but all that flavor text is in there. It's really, really neat. So I said it brings ten heroes. When I said ten heroes, four villains, and four environments, I meant decks. There's ten hero decks, four villain decks, and four environment decks. The three types of decks work a little bit different. The hero deck will have one hero character card, and then 40 cards that you shuffle together. You always have your character card in front of you. Then the villains. Each villain has two villain cards. That have information about the villain that they start in front of you in the game, and then a deck of 25 cards. The environment is just a deck of 15 cards. The way the game works basically is very, very simple. I'll give you the whole turn description real quick. Um, the game, the turn starts with the villain. The villain plays any beginning of turn effects, then draws a card, and then plays any end of turn effects. Then each hero character in order. Uh, Has any beginning of turn effects, plays a card, um, uses a power, and then does any end of turn effects, and then draws a card. And then for the environment, play beginning of turn effect, play a card for the environment deck, have the end of turn effect. And that's the whole game right there. It's very simple, but then all the card adds a lot of complexity to that, and and a lot of flavor and theme. I'm not going to get a lot into all the different types of cards, There's, there's tons, and... There's tons of variety depending on the decks and whatnot. For all the decks, there's permanent cards you play and stay on the table, and there's cards that you play and then get discarded immediately. Not especially for the heroes, there's, there's some cards that, ha- that give you powers. Those are a little bit different. Remember in the, I said in the in the hero turn, one of the things they do is they play a card from their hand, and then they could use a power. So that allows a th- hero to do two things each turn in a way. The, the card at playing action, and the power action. So some cards will give you powers, and some will give you other benefits. You can generally only play one power per turn, but then there might be a card that you could play that's permanent, and it says, "Play one extra power each turn." So now you got two powers you could play. You know, I probably should mention the point of the game. Actually, in this game, you're controlling a team of superheroes, and your goal is to defeat the villain. Each character has a, a amount of health. And the goal is to bring the villain down to zero health before the end of the game. Actually, that's generally the goal. It, there's at least one villain that I know is different. If any hero is brought down to zero, that hero is is dead. Or maybe just uh, unconscious. I don't know, but I think he's dead. Um, fortunately, that doesn't take the player out of it entirely. The player flips his card over, his hero card, and now he's got three different things he can do each on his turn. They're very simple things. They're basically like... Heal somebody else a point, or let somebody else play a power, or draw a card, or, or whatever. There's different ones. Each hero has different three different abilities, but they're very very simple. So yeah, so he goes to bring the villain down to zero health. The heroes generally have I don't know somewhere between twenty five and thirty five points of health each. The villains, I think the highest I've seen is around ninety or a hundred. Um, so they're definitely more. They definitely have more health than the heroes. All the heroes tend to feel very different. It is amazing how much variety this game has. All the villains feel different, and the environments all feel different. Um, some heroes will do a lot of direct damage. Some heroes will play equipment cards that then could do damage or or be augmented or they might have equipment that augment their powers and and that sort of thing. Some heroes might have just cards that they play out of hand and not onto the table. That uh, do a lot of damage, and they maybe have very minor powers. It depends. Some heroes are support heroes that maybe make other heroes stronger or, or heal their health. Some heroes are tougher, some are frail. It, it's just really amazing the variety. They all feel very different and, and very thematic. The. It really, I'm just saying, it's really, really surprising how different they feel. The same goes for the villains. All the villains play a little different and feel a little vi- different, even though they all use the same basic rules. There's, and then the environments are the same thing. Each of them feels a little bit different. Some are tougher, some are easier, some tend to do a lot of direct damage, some tend to make everybody weaker, it just, it just depends. Depends on what the environment is and and whatnot. And it is just amazing how much variety there is within each deck of cards. Right, so I told you about the base game so far, right, you get, what is it, 10 heroes, four villains, four environments. There's also three expansions you could buy. Actually, the first two were merged into a single expansion. But each of those three would bring two heroes, four villains, and two environments. So those three add up to another six heroes, 12 villains, six environments total. Um, There's another one coming out. should be out, I think, around December. I think that again brings the same number, but I'm not sure. I better double-check that real quick. Besides that, there have been a bunch of mini-expansions. Each is basically one little deck. And I think there's two two heroes, two villains, and two more environments available that way. Um, I think there, and there's three more of those coming out now at the same time as the new expansion. So I don't know how many cards you get total. It's probably something like close to 30 heroes, 30 villains, 30 environments. And they all tend to feel very different and work very different. And each game, you're only going to use one villain, one environment... And probably three heroes. That number could vary. Oh, and there's another expansion I forgot Vengeance. And that one's a little bit different. That one brings, I think, three heroes and a group of villains, which are actually designed to be played together. So this is an expansion where each. It's, you know, it's intended for multiplayer, I think. And each player would control a hero and a villain. But still a cooperative game where you're trying to defeat the villains. Um, it just means you're fighting a team of villains. So. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's tons and tons of replayability and variety in and style of play and all that. So if you get the game, I think this game already has a lot of ver- variability out of the box. But I think if you start adding different expansions, you get tons more and more variability. And I already mentioned when you play solo, you generally want to play three heroes, maybe four, maybe more of you. Like I have been finding a game takes me about an hour and a half. I think the more you play it, the the quicker it gets. I've played close to 20 games at this point, and it gets smoother. Um, it, it is a bit tricky because you're managing three hands. I found online on the on the Sentence Multiverse Monthly Challenges, which I'll tell you more about, I think that's where I saw it, that what works really well for a lot of people is to to lay one hero going across, play all his cards going across, the second hero below that, and then the third hero below that. And I used to put them side by side, and I got... It felt very cluttered and it was hard to follow. And I found when I started doing it the other way, it worked so much better. And the game became a lot easier. This game does have a lot of bookkeeping and things to keep track of. Um, there's different four different types of damage, I think, or maybe six. Um, there's cards that could reduce damage or increase damage. There's cards that could, uh keep somebody from using a power or extra power. And lots of different things to keep track of. So it could get a little bit fiddly and it gets tricky. You know, some effects will happen at the end of a turn, some at the beginning of a turn. And, you know, it could be, I could play a card that might happen at the end of my turn, or maybe it'll happen at the end of the villain's turn. It just, it could depend. So there's a lot of things to keep track of. I know from BGG you can download some counters you could print out and, and mount and all that yourself to help you keep track of that, where you'll just put a little counter that says end of turn effect and you put it on a card and now you know this happens at the end of the turn. Greater Than Games also sells counters like that. You could buy the sheet. It brings a bunch of those and a bunch more health counters. Those are very handy. I, I got those and they really, really do help a lot in managing the game. I highly recommend that. There's also some apps you could use. I have a, a shuffler that I like to use. that will just roll up a random set of hero, and villain, and environment cards to play with. It works great. Uh, it's, I have it on my Android phone. There's a few different ones, so I suggest if, if you get the game and... You want a, a randomizer, just check out what's available and try them all out and see what you like. There's also some Sidekick app. I haven't really used it because it costs money. I think it's a free version. But either way, what it does is let you con- um, manage your health and stuff for one character, whether hero or villain, on your on your tablet or phone. I haven't used it because it only controls one character. And I, if it did, all of them I probably would look into to maybe get it. But for just one, it's still not going to buy me that much, I think. Um, So one of the really neat things about the game is that lately, for like the last, I think, six months or a year, maybe, I'm not sure, there have been uh, monthly challenges going on for the game. This is on the one-player guild. And the idea is, well, so far, each month has been um, the first time it was just a base game, then the next time... It was a challenge using the first expansion, the next time using the second expansion, and so on. And I imagine eventually you're going to start getting a lot more mix. But what happens is each month you're basically going to play four different games. The challenges are being hosted by Eric Miller. And what he'll do for each... He'll pick the challenge. Um, whatever set he's playing from, you're playing from, you're going to fight each of the villains from that set once. And he's going to pick the villain, he's going to pick the environment, and then he's going to pick... He's going to pick one of the heroes you use, he's going to randomly determine another one, and you get to choose a third. So what ends up happening is you, you don't have a lot of choices, obviously. You, can, you only got one hero you can pick, the rest are determined for you. you, you got to try and figure out which is the best hero to use based on what's what you're fighting, where you're fighting, and who you're fighting with. The other restriction is you can't pick the same hero for two challenges. So if I pick the, the bunker for the first week, I can't pick him for the second week. He may be in the second week if he was chosen by Eric, but I can't pick him myself. Um, These challenges are really fun. They're fun because there's a lot of people involved, so there's a lot of banter going on, and you're comparing scores and all that. And it's fun because it gives you a lot of specific scenario to try and beat. And I like that about it. And and some of the scenarios are hard, so you may end up playing it a bunch of times, you may just play it once. but it's, I tried it last month, and I got to try a lot of different ones. I signed up for this month, but unfortunately I think I'm going to have to drop out because I'm just i finding it h- hard to find the time to play it this time. But there will be more continuing to go on. I think uh, Eric has said he'll keep doing them as long as there's people playing them. So it's probably too late to start the November one unless you listen to this tomorrow because the first uh, challenge is supposed to be done by tomorrow. I think he gives you a little bit of leeway. This one is using the base sets plus the Vengeance expansion, which is the one where I mentioned where there's... The the five villains that are a team. The challenges, as I said, the challenges are really fun. If you get Sentinels, if you want to play it solo, I definitely recommend checking them out in the one-player guild. Definitely worth your time. I think these challenges have made the game way, way better than it was before. Oh, there's also now a Sentinels of the Multiverse app available, I believe, on the iPhone and on Android. Unfortunately, it's not compatible with my old Samsung Galaxy S3. I think you have to have a near phone or something. Maybe a tablet. I don't know. So I have not actually tried it out at all. I, I can't give you any feedback on it. I imagine it sure helps a lot with the fiddliness if nothing else. So that's Sentence of the Multiverse. It's a really really fun game. It plays really well solitaire. If you don't mind controlling multiple characters. If you're if the kind of person that likes playing just one character in a solitaire game. In a, in a co-op game, this is not the one for you at all. Um. Even then, I'd say give it a try, give it a couple of plays, and and you might find you like it. The The first couple of times I played this Solitaire, I did not like it. It was very fiddly, very hard to keep track of, and it took a long time. Having played it a few times over and over, it's gotten much faster, much more easy, and basically the game starts making more sense, and it's just a lot more fun. Um, I think the rules are a little bit fiddly, even though they're very simple, because there's so many different cards, and they have so many different effects. That the interaction could get confusing. There's a lot of information on the forums. There's a document somebody has put together that has a fact and a lot of information that's incredibly handy. I'll have to include a link to that too. It's definitely a game that if you want to try and you haven't told me you're not alone, there's lots of help available. And it is supported very, very well by the publisher. So the base game is $40. The first two expansions combined is also $40. And then every small expansion, well, the prices varied. Generally speaking, the small expansions are 20 Vengeance is 30 and each of the mini expansions at just one deck has been $5. So yeah, that's Sentinels of the Multiverse. It's it's a really great, really fun game to play solitaire. Uh, check it out. If you have an Android tablet or iPad, you could try it out there first and see if you like it. And I will say, I have not been a big fan of playing board games on my phone or my tablet, personally. I don't know why. I never get into them. Anyway... Thanks for listening. Next show will be on RPGs again. I'm really looking forward to that one. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. You can also post comments on the Podcast Geek List on BoardGameGeek or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons, non-commercial, share-alike license. Thanks for listening.